chapter thirty six of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty six and last subtle surly mammon doll hot ananias dapper dragger all with whom i traded the alchemist as when some rural citizen retired for a fleeting holiday far from the cares of the world strepitumque rome my and the roar of rome to the sweet shades of pentonville or the remoter plains of clapham conducts some delighted visitor over the intricacies of that didelian masterpiece which he is pleased to call his labyrinth or maze now smiling furtively at his guest's perplexity now listening with calm superiority to his futile and erring conjectures now maliciously accompanying him through a flattering path in which the baffled adventurer is suddenly checked by the blank features of a thorough fairless hedge now trembling as he sees the guest stumbling unawares into the right track and now relieved as he beholds him after a pause of deliberation wind into the wrong even so o pleasant reader doth the sage novelist conduct thee through the labyrinth of his tale amusing himself with thy self-deceits and spinning forth in prolix pleasure the quiet yarn of his entertainment from the involutions which occasion thy fretting eagerness and perplexity but as when thanks to the host's good nature or fatigue the mystery is once unravelled and the guest permitted to penetrate even into the concealed end of the leafy maze the honest cit satisfied with the pleasant pains he has already bestowed upon his visitor puts him not to the labour of retracing the steps he hath so erratically trod but leads him in three strides and through a simpler path at once to the mouth of the maze and dismisseth him elsewhere for entertainment even so will the prudent narrator when the intricacies of his plot are once unfolded occasion no stale and profitless delays to his wearied reader but conduct him with as much brevity as convenient without the labyrinth which has ceased to retain the interest of a secret we shall therefore in pursuance of the tit's policy relate as rapidly as possible that part of our narrative which yet remains untold on brandon's person was found the paper which had contained so fatal an intelligence of his son and when brought to lord malevra the words struck that person who knew brandon had been in search of his lost son whom we have seen that he had been taught however to suppose illegitimate though it is probable that many doubts whether he had not been deceived must have occurred to his natural sagacity as sufficiently important to be worth an inquiry after the writer dummy was easily found for he had not yet turned his back on the town when the news of the judge's sudden death was brought back to it and taking advantage of that circumstance the friendly dunnaker remained altogether in the town albeit his long companion 
deserted it as hastily as might be and while the time by presenting himself at the jail and after some ineffectual efforts winning his way to clifford easily tracked by the name he had given to the governor of the jail he was conducted the same day to lord malevrer and his narrative confused as it was and proceeding even from so suspicious a quarter thrilled those digestive organs which in malevrer stood proxy for a heart with feelings as much resembling awe and horror as our good peer was capable of experiencing already shocked from his worldly philosophy of indifference by the death of brandon he was more susceptible to a remorseful and salutary impression at this moment than he might have been at any other and he could not without some twinges of conscience think of the ruin he had brought on the mother of the being he had but just prosecuted to the death he dismissed dummy and after a little consideration he ordered his carriage and leaving the funeral preparations for his friend to the care of his man of business he set off for london and the house in particular of the secretary of the home department we would not willingly wrong the noble penitent but we venture a suspicion that he might not have preferred a personal application for mercy to the prisoner to a written one had he not felt certain unpleasant qualms in remaining in a country house overshadowed by ceremonies so gloomy as those of death the letter of brandon and the application of malevra obtained for clifford a relaxation of his sentence he was left for perpetual transportation a ship was already about to sail and malevra content with having saved his life was by no means anxious that his departure from the country should be saddled with any superfluous delay meanwhile the first rumour that reached london respecting brandon's fate was that he had been found in a fit and was lying dangerously ill at malevra's and before the second and more fatally sure report arrived lucy had gathered from the visible dismay of barlow whom she anxiously cross-questioned and who really loving his master was easily affected into communication the first and more flattering intelligence to barlow's secret delight she insisted instantly on setting off to the supposed sick man and accompanied by barlow and her woman the affectionate girl hastened to malevra's house on the evening after the day the earl left it lucy had not proceeded far before barlow learned from the gossip of the road the real state of the case indeed it was at the first stage that with a mournful countenance he approached the door of the carriage and announcing the inutility of proceeding farther begged of lucy to turn back so soon as miss brandon had overcome the first shock which this intelligence gave her she said with calmness well barlow if it be so we have still a duty to perform tell the post-boys to drive on indeed madam i cannot see what use it can be fretting yourself and you so poorly if you will let me go i will see every attention paid to the remains of my poor master when my father lay dead said lucy with a grave and sad sternness in her manner he who is now no more sent no proxy to perform the last duties of a brother neither will i send one to discharge those of a niece and prove that i have forgotten the gratitude of a daughter drive on we have said that there were times when a spirit was stricken 
from lucy little common to her in general and now the command of her uncle sat upon her brow on sped the horses and for several minutes lucy remained silent her woman did not dare to speak at length miss brandon turned and covering her face with her hands burst into tears so violent that they alarmed her attendant even more than her previous stillness my poor poor uncle she sobbed and those were all her words we must pass over lucy's arrival at lord malevra's house we must pass over the weary days which elapsed till that unconscious body was consigned to dust with which could it have retained yet one spark of its haughty spirit it would have refused to blend its atoms she had loved the deceased incomparably beyond his merits and resisting all remonstrance to the contrary and all the forms of ordinary custom she witnessed herself the dreary ceremony which bequeathed the human remains of william brandon to repose and to the worm on that same day clifford received the mitigation of his sentence and on that day another trial awaited lucy we think briefly to convey to the reader what that scene was we need only observe that dummy dunnaker decoyed by his great love for little paul whom he delightedly said he found not the least stuck up by his great fame and hallowation still lingered in the town and was not only aware of the relationship of the cousins but had gleaned from long ned as they journeyed down to blank the affection entertained by clifford for lucy of the manner in which the communication reached lucy we need not speak suffice it to say that on the day in which she had performed the last duty to her uncle she learned for the first time her lover's situation on that evening in the convict's cell the cousins met their conference was low for the jailer stood within hearing and it was broken by lucy's convulsive sobs but the voice of one whose iron nerves were not unworthy of the offspring of william brandon was clear and audible to her ear even though uttered in a whisper that scarcely stirred his lips it seemed as if lucy smitten to the inmost heart by the generosity with which her lover had torn himself from her at the time that her wealth might have raised him in any other country far above the perils and the crimes of his career in this perceiving now for the first time and in all their force the causes of his mysterious conduct melted by their relationship and forgetting herself utterly in the desolation and dark situation in which she beheld one who whatever his crimes had not been criminal towards her it seemed as if carried away by these emotions she had yielded altogether to the fondness and devotion of her nature that she had wished to leave home and friends and fortune and share with him his punishment and his shame why she faltered why why not we are all that is left to each other in the world your father and mine were brothers let me be to you as a sister what is there left for me here not one being whom i love or who cares for me not one it was then that clifford summoned all his courage as he answered perhaps now that he felt though here his knowledge was necessarily confused and imperfect his birth was not unequal to hers now that he read or believed he read in her wan cheek and attenuated frame that desertion to her was death and that generosity and self-sacrifice had become too late 
perhaps these thoughts concurring with a love in himself beyond all words and a love in her which it was above humanity to resist altogether conquered and subdued him yet as we have said his voice breathed calmly in her ear and his eye only which brightened with a steady and resolute hope betrayed his mind live then said he as he concluded my sister my mistress my bride live in one year from this day i repeat i promise it thee the interview was over and lucy returned home with a firm step she was on foot the rain fell in torrents yet even in her precarious state her health suffered not and when within a week from that time she read that clifford had departed to the bourne of his punishment she read the news with a steady eye and a lip that if it grew paler did not quiver shortly after that time miss brandon departed to an obscure town by the seaside and there refusing all society she continued to reside as the birth of clifford was known but to few and his legitimacy was unsuspected by all except perhaps by malevera lucy succeeded to the great wealth of her uncle and this circumstance made her more than ever an object of attraction in the eyes of her noble adorer finding himself unable to see her he wrote to her more than one moving epistle but as lucy continued inflexible he at length disgusted by her want of taste ceased his pursuit and resigned himself to the continued sterility of unwedded life as the months waned miss brandon seemed to grow weary of her retreat and immediately on attaining her majority which she did about eight months after brandon's death she transferred the bulk of her wealth to france where it was understood for it was impossible that rumour should sleep upon an heiress and a beauty that she intended in future to reside even warlock that spelled to the proud heart of her uncle she ceased to retain it was offered to the nearest relation of the family at a sum which he did not hesitate to close with and by the common vicissitudes of fortune the estate of the ancient brandons has now we perceive by a weekly journal just passed into the hands of a wealthy alderman it was nearly a year since brandon's death when a letter bearing a foreign postmark came to lucy from that time her spirits which before though subject to fits of abstraction had been even and subdued not sad rose into all the cheerfulness and vivacity of her earliest youth she busied herself actively in preparations for her departure from this country and at length the day was fixed and the vessel was engaged every day till that one did lucy walk to the seaside and ascending the highest cliffs spend hours till the evening closed in watching with seemingly idle gaze the vessels that interspersed the sea and with every day her health seemed to strengthen and the soft and lucid colour she had once worn to rebloom upon her cheek previous to her departure miss brandon dismissed her servants and only engaged one female a foreigner to accompany her a certain tone of quiet command formerly unknown to her characterized these measures so daringly independent for one of her sex and age the day arrived it was the anniversary of her last interview with clifford on entering the vessel it was observed that she trembled violently and that her face was as pale as death a stranger who had stood aloof wrapped in his cloak darted forward to assist her that was the last which her discarded and weeping servants beheld of her from the pier where they stood to gaze nothing more in this country was ever known of the fate of lucy brandon and as her circle of acquaintances was narrow 
an interest in her fate existed vividly in none save a few humbled breasts conjecture was never keenly awakened and soon cooled into forgetfulness if it favoured after the lapse of years any one notion more than another it was that she had perished among the victims of the french revolution meanwhile let us glance over the destinies of our more subordinate acquaintances augustus tomlinson on parting from long ned had succeeded in reaching calais and after a rapid tour through the continent he ultimately betook himself to a certain literary city in germany where he became distinguished for his metaphysical acumen and opened a school of morals on the grecian model taught in the french tongue he managed by the patronage he received and the pupils he enlightened to obtain a very decent income and as he wrote a folio against locke proved that men had innate feelings and affirmed that we should refer everything not to reason but to the sentiments of the soul he became greatly respected for his extraordinary virtue some little discoveries were made after his death which perhaps would have somewhat diminished the general odour of his sanctity had not the admirers of his school carefully hushed up the matter probably out of respect for the sentiments of the soul pepper whom the police did not so anxiously desire to destroy as they did his two companions might have managed perhaps many years longer to graze upon the public commons had not a letter written somewhat imprudently fallen into wrong hands this though after creating a certain stir it apparently died away lived in the memory of the police and finally conspired with various peccadilloes to produce his downfall he was seized tried and sentenced to seven years transportation he so advantageously employed his time at botany bay and arranged things there so comfortably to himself that at the expiration of his sentence he refused to return home he made an excellent match built himself an excellent house and remained in the land of the blessed to the end of his days noted to the last for the redundance of his hair and a certain ferocious coxcombry of aspect as for fighting at tea and gentleman george for scarlet gem and for old bags we confess ourselves destitute of any certain information of their latter ends we can only add with regard to fighting at tea good luck be with him wherever he goes and for mine host of the jolly angler that though we have not the physical constitution to quaff a bumper of blue ruin we shall be very happy over any tolerable wine and in company with any agreeable convivialist to bear our part in the polished chorus of here's to gentleman george god bless him mrs lapkins departed this life like a lamb and dummy dunnaker obtained a license to carry on the business at tim's court he boasted to the last of his acquaintance with the great captain lovett and of the affability with which that distinguished personage treated him stories he had too about judge brandon but no one believed a syllable of them and dummy indignant at the disbelief increased out of vehemence the marvel of the story so that at length what was added almost swallowed up what was original and dummy himself might have been puzzled to satisfy his own conscience as to what was false and what was true the erudite peter magrawler returning to scotland disappeared by the road a person singularly resembling the sage was afterwards seen at carlisle where he discharged the useful and praiseworthy duties of jack ketch but whether or not this respectable functionary was our identical simon pure our ex-editor of the asinium we will not take upon ourselves to assert 
lord malever finally resolving on a single life passed the remainder of his years in indolent tranquillity when he died the newspapers asserted that his majesty was deeply affected by the loss of so old and valued a friend his furniture and wines sold remarkably high and a great man his particular intimate who purchased his books startled to find by pencil marks that the noble deceased had read some of them exclaimed not altogether without truth ah malever might have been a deuced clever fellow if he had liked it the earl was accustomed to show as a curiosity a ring of great value which he had received in rather a singular manner one morning a packet was brought him which he found to contain a sum of money the ring mentioned and a letter from the notorious lovett in which that person in begging to return his lordship the sums of which he had twice assisted to rob him thanked him with earnest warmth for the consideration testified towards him in not revealing his identity with captain clifford and ventured as a slight testimony of respect to enclose the aforesaid ring with the sum returned about the time malevra received this curious packet several anecdotes of a similar nature appeared in the public journals and it seemed that lovett had acted upon a general principle of restitution not always it must be allowed the offspring of a robber's repentance while the idle were marvelling at these anecdotes came the tardy news that lovett after a single month's sojourn at his place of condemnation had in the most daring and singular manner effected his escape whether in his progress up the country he had been starved or slain by the natives or whether more fortunate he had ultimately found the means of crossing seas was as yet unknown there ended the adventures of the gallant robber and thus by a strange coincidence the same mystery which wrapped the fate of lucy involved also that of her lover and here kind reader might we drop the curtain on our closing scene did we not think it might please thee to hold it up yet one moment and give thee another view of the world behind in a certain town of that great country where shoes are imperfectly polished see captain hall's late work on america and opinions are not prosecuted there resided twenty years after the date of lucy brandon's departure from england a man held in high and universal respect not only for the rectitude of his conduct but for the energies of his mind and the purposes to which they were directed if you asked who cultivated that waste the answer was clifford who procured the establishment of that hospital clifford who obtained the redress of such a public grievance clifford who struggled for and won such a popular benefit clifford in the gentler part of his projects and his undertakings in that part above all which concerned the sick or the necessitous this useful citizen was seconded or rather excelled by a being over whose surpassing loveliness time seemed to have flown with a gentle and charming wing there was something remarkable and touching in the love which this couple for the woman we refer to was clifford's wife bore to each other like the plant on the plains of hebron the time which brought to that love an additional strength brought to it also a softer and a fresher verdure although their present neighbours were unacquainted with the events of their earlier life previous to their settlement at blank it was known that they had been wealthy at the time they first came to reside there and that by a series of fatalities they had lost all but clifford had borne up manfully against fortune and in a new country where men who prefer labour to dependence cannot easily starve he had been enabled to toil upward through the severe stages of poverty and hardship with an honesty and vigour of character which won him perhaps a more hearty esteem for every successive effort than the display of his lost riches might ever have acquired him 
his labours and his abilities obtained gradual but sure success and he now enjoyed the blessings of a competence earned with the most scrupulous integrity and spent with the most kindly benevolence a trace of the trials they had passed through was discernible in each those trials had stolen the rose from the wife's cheek and had sown untimely wrinkles in the broad brow of clifford there were moments too but they were only moments when the latter sank from his wonted elastic and healthful cheerfulness of mind into a gloomy and abstracted reverie but these moments the wife watched with a jealous and fond anxiety and one sound of her sweet voice had the power to dispel their influence and when clifford raised his eyes and glanced from her tender smile around his happy home and his growing children or beheld through the very windows of his room the public benefits he had created something of pride and gladness glowed on his countenance and he said though with glistening eyes and subdued voice as his looks returned once more to his wife i owe these to thee one trait of mind especially characterized by clifford indulgence to the faults of others circumstances make guilt he was wont to say let us endeavour to correct the circumstances before we rail against the guilt his children promised to tread in the same useful and honourable path that he trod himself happy was considered that family which had the hope to ally itself with his such was the after fate of clifford and lucy who will condemn us for preferring the moral of that fate to the moral which is extorted from the gibbet and the hawks which makes scarecrows not beacons terrifies our weakness not warms our reason who does not allow that it is better to repair than to perish better too to atone as the citizen than to repent as the hermit o oh, john wilkes alderman of london and draconser of liberty your life was not an iota too perfect your patriotism might have been infinitely purer your morals would have admitted indefinite amendment you are no great favourite with us or with the rest of the world but you said one excellent thing for which we look on you with benevolence nay almost with respect we scarcely know whether to smile at its wit or to sigh at its wisdom mark this truth all ye gentlemen of england who would make law as the romans made fasces a bundle of rods with an axe in the middle mark it and remember long may it live allied with hope in ourselves but with gratitude in our children long after the book which it now adorns and points has gone to its dusty slumber long long after the feverish hand which now writes it down can defend or enforce it no more the very worst use to which you can put a man is to hang him note in the second edition of this novel there were here inserted two characters of fighting addy and gentleman george omitted in the subsequent edition published by mr bentley in the standard novels at the request of some admirers of those eminent personages who considered the biographical sketches referred to impartial in themselves and contributing to the completeness of the design for which men so illustrious were introduced they are here retained though in the more honourable form of a separate and supplementary notice fighting atti when he dies the road will have lost a great man whose foot was rarely out of his stirrup and whose clear head guided a bold hand he carried common sense to his perfection and he made the straight path the sublimest his words were few his actions were many 
he was the spartan of tobyman and laconism was the short soul of his professional legislation whatever way you view him you see those properties of mind which command fortune few thoughts not confusing each other simple elements and bold his character in action may be summed up in two phrases a fact seized and a stroke made had his intellect been more luxurious his resolution might have been less hardy and his hardiness made his greatness he was one of those who shine but in action chimneys to adapt the simile of sir thomas more that seem useless till you light your fire so in calm moments you dream not of his utility and only on the road you were struck dumb with the outbreaking of his genius whatever situation he was called to you found in higher what you looked for in vain in others for his strong sense gave to addy what long experience ought but often fails to give to its possessors his energy triumphed over the sense of novel circumstance and he broke in a moment through the cobwebs which entangled lesser natures for years his eye saw a final result and disregarded the detail he robbed his man without chicanery and took his purse by applying for it rather than scheming if his enemies wished to detract from his merit a merit great dazzling and yet solid they may perhaps say that his genius fitted him better to continue exploits than to devise them and thus that besides the renown which he may justly claim he often wholly engrossed that fame which should have been shared by others he took up the enterprise where it ceased at labour and carried it onwards where it was regarded with glory even this charge proves a new merit of address and lessens not the merit less complicated they have allowed him before the fame he has acquired may excite our emulation the envy he has not appeased may console us for obscurity a stanza of greek poetry thus not too vigorously translated by mr west but wrapped in error is the human mind and human bliss is ever insecure know we what fortune shall remain behind know we how long the present shall endure gentleman george for thee gentleman george for thee what conclusive valediction remains alas since we began the strange and mumming scene wherein first thou went introduced the grim foe hath knocked thrice at thy gates and now as we write in eighteen thirty thou art departed thence thou art no more a new lord presides to thine easy chair a new voice rings from thy merry board thou art forgotten thou art already like these pages a tale that is told to a memory that retaineth not where are thy quips and cranks where thy stately coxcombries and thy regal gauds thine house and thy pagoda thy gothic chimney and thy chinese signpost these yet ask the concluding hand thy hand is cold their completion and the enjoyment the completion yields are for another thou sowest and thy follower reaps thou buildest thy successor holds thou plantest and thine heir sits beneath the shadow of thy trees neque harum quas solus arvorum te praetor in visus suppressus ulla brevum 
dominum sequitur nor will any of these trees thou didst cultivate follow thee the short-lived lord save the hateful cypress at this moment thy life for thou wert a great man to thine order and they have added thy biography to that of abershaw and shepherd thy life is before us what a homily in its events gaily didst thou laugh into thy youth and run through the courses of thy manhood wit sat at thy table and genius was thy comrade beauty was thy handmaid and frivolity played around thee a buffoon that thou didst ridicule and ridiculing enjoy who among us can look back to thy brilliant era and not sigh to think that the wonderful men who surrounded thee and amidst whom thou wert a centre and a nucleus are for him but the things of history and the phantoms of a bodiless tradition those brilliant suppers glittering with beauty the memory of which makes one spot yet inherited by bachelor bill a haunted and a fairy ground all who gathered to that armida's circle the grammonts and the beauvilliers and the rochefoucauld's of england and the road who does not feel that to have seen these though but as gil blas saw the festivities of his actors from the sideboard and behind the chair would have been a triumph for the earthlier feelings of his old age to recall what then must it have been to have seen them as thou didst see thou the deceased and the forgotten seen them from the height of thy youth and power and rank for early wert thou keeper to a public and reckless spirits and lusty capacities of joy what pleasures where sense lavished its uncounted varieties what revellings where wine was the least excitement let the scene shift how stirring is the change triumph and glitter and conquest for thy public was a public of renown thither came the warriors of the ring the heroes of the cross and thou their patron wert elevated on their fame principis pro victoria pugnant somatis pro principi chiefs for the victory fight for chiefs the soldiers what visions sweep across us what glories didst thou witness over what conquests didst thou preside the mightiest epoch the most wonderful events which the world thy world ever knew of these was it not indeed and dazzlingly thine to share the triumph and partake the gale let this scene shift manhood is touched by age but lust is healed by luxury and pomp is the heir of pleasure jewjaws and god instead of glory surround rejoice and flatter thee to the last there rise thy buildings there lie secret but gorgeous the tabernacles of thine ease and the earnings of thy friends and the riches of the people whom they plunder are waters to thine imperial whirlpool thou art lapped in ease as is a silkworm and profusion flows from thy high and unseen asylum as the rain poureth from a cloud much didst thou do to beautify chimney-tops much to adorn the snuggeries where thou didst dwell thieving with thee took a substantial shape and the robberies of the public passed into a metempsychosis of mortar and became public houses so there and thus building and planning didst thou spin out thy latter yarn till death came upon thee and when we looked around lo thy brother was on thy hearth and thy parasites and thy comrades and thine ancient pals and thy portly blowens they made a murmur and they packed up their goods but they turned ere they departed and they would have worshipped thy brother as they worshipped thee but he would not and thy signpost is gone and mouldered already and to the jolly angler has succeeded the jolly tar 
and thy pictures disappearing fast from the print-shops and thy name from the mouths of men and thy brother whom no one praised while thou didst live is on a steeple of panegyric built above the churchyard that contains thy grave o shifting and volatile hearts of men who would be keeper of a public who dispense the wine and the juices that gladden when the moment the pulse of the band ceases the wine and the juices are forgotten to history for thy name will be preserved in that record which whether it be the calendar of nougat or of nations telleth it alike how men suffer and sin and perish to history we leave the sum and balance of thy merits and thy faults the sins that were thine were those of the man to whom pleasure is all in all thou wert from root to branch sap and in heart what moralists term the libertine hence the light wooing the quick desertion the broken faith the organized perfidy that manifested thy bearing to those gentler creatures who call thee gentleman george never to one solitary woman until the last dull flame of thy dotage didst thou so behave as to give no foundation to complaint and no voice to wrong but who shall say be honest to one but laugh at perfidy to another who shall wholly confine treachery to one sex if to that sex he hold treachery no offence so in thee as in all thy tribe there was a lackness of principle an insincerity of faith even unto men thy friends when occasion suited thou couldst forsake and thy luxuries were dearer to thee than justice to those who supplied them men who love and live for pleasure as thou are usually good-natured for their devotion to pleasure arises from the strength of their constitution and the strength of their constitution preserves them from the irritations of weaker nerves so went thou good-natured and often generous and often with thy generosity didst thou unite a delicacy that showed thou hadst an original and a tender sympathy with men but as those who pursue pleasure are above all others impatient of interruptions so to such as interfered with thy main pursuit thou didst testify a deep a lasting and a revengeful anger yet let not such vices of temperament be too severely judged for to thee were given man's two most persuasive tempters physical and moral health and power thy talents such as they were and they were the talents of a man of the world misled rather than guided thee for they gave thy mind that demi philosophy that indifference to exalted motives which is generally found in a clever rake thy education was wretched thou hadst a smattering of horse but thou couldst not write english and thy letters betray that thou went woefully ignorant of logic the fineness of thy taste has been exaggerated thou wert unacquainted with the nobleness of simplicity thy idea of a whole was grotesque and overloaded and thy fancy in details was gaudy and meretricious but thou hadst thy hand constantly in the public purse and thou hadst plans and advisers for ever before thee more than all thou didst find the houses in that neighbourhood wherein thou didst build so preternaturally hideous that thou didst require but little science to be less frightful in thy creations if thou didst not improve thy native village and thy various homes with a solid a lofty and a noble taste thou didst nevertheless very singularly improve and thy posterity in avoiding the faults of thy masonry will be grateful for the effects of thy ambition the same demi-philosophy which influenced thee in private life exercised a far benigner and happier power over thee in public thou wert not idly vexatious in vestries nor ordinarily tyrannic in thy parish if thou wert ever arbitrary it was only when thy pleasure was checked or thy vanity wounded at other times thou didst leave events to their legitimate course so that in thy latter years thou wert justly popular in thy parish and in the grave thy great good fortune will outshine 
thy few bad qualities and men will say of thee with a kindly not an erring judgment in private life he was not worse than the roofers who came to this bar in public life he was better than those who kept the public before him hark those huzzas what is the burden of that chorus o grateful and never time-serving britons have ye modified already for another the song ye made so solely in honour of gentlemen george and must we lest we lose the custom of the public and the good things of the tap-room roust we roar with throats yet hoarse with our fervour for the old words our ardour for the new here's to mariner bill god bless him god bless him god bless him here's to mariner bill god bless him End of chapter 36